Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to look at your word tonight, we pray that your Holy Spirit would fill us with the knowledge that you want us to have from this difficult passage. Amen. Please excuse me tonight if my voice uh, cracks up rather. I'm just about to lose it, so uh, I'll try to be as clear as I can. I don't know whether you've ever been in this position where you've maybe been at a party or you've been in a crowded room, somewhere like that, where you've heard someone talking about you to another person without them being aware that you're actually there. Well, it can quite often be an eye-opener, can't it? And we hear things that we don't want to perhaps hear about ourselves. Well, as I was reading this book, I thought, well, this book is a bit like this that we've got in front of us this evening, isn't it? The prophet is talking about the state of God's people. And we need to remember that these are God's people. And my verse for tonight is chapter 2, verse 16. So guard yourself in your spirits and do not break faith. Question is, of course, how were the Israelites doing this? What can be done about it? And does it apply to us in our situation? But a word first about Malachi to start with, because it's a new series for us. It was a prophetic word from a prophet who might have been operating around about the time of 460 BC. It was certainly written in the time after the Babylonian exile and the people had returned back to the land of Israel and the temple uh, had been rebuilt. There had been new hope and yet this new hope hadn't transformed the people and their lives in terms of wealth, security or the state of their people. And so this is a prophetic world concerning their God, the state of the people and the religious life of their community. And as we read it and as we go through the chapters in the next few weeks, we'll see in it how God loves them and how God chooses his people and what God requires of his people. Now, of course, we worship, we've been singing just now, we worship the same God who sent this prophet to the people that looked forward to the coming of Jesus, what we're doing in the next couple of weeks to Christmas time. So the question for tonight is, how can the people guard themselves in their spirit and not lose faith? And how can we do so as well? But remember, it's not a one-sided issue. It's not just what the people can do, because look at chapter 1, verses 2. The prophet says this, I have loved you, says the Lord. Despite all the criticisms that are to follow, despite all the disappointments and the hardships that you're going through, God, through his prophet, wants the people to know that he loves them. Now, the word love here is used in the context of calling the people. So despite their actions, their lack of honour and respect for him, he is calling them. This is their bedrock. This is what they've got to cling to as they wait for their Messiah to come. That their God still loves them and has called them to be his people. So how can they see this? Well, the prophet points them to look back through his action in time. 
he destroys and he builds up. And through this passage, we have many references to the covenant that God set up with his people through Moses all those years ago. And they are to return to this covenant relationship and they are to see how God treated his people through time, how he consistently loved them. And this God is a great God. They can depend upon him because in verse 5 we're told he works beyond the borders of Israel. This God is so great, the prophet is saying, you can depend upon his love. So that's a real positive start to this message. But what is their present situation, despite this love of their father God? Well, the prophet gives three warnings to the people of Israel. Three warnings to these people. And that's the three warnings that I'm going to bring to you tonight. The first one is this. We find it in chapter 1, verse 6. They have broken faith with him. They have dishonoured their father God. Now, the the, the writer uses uh, the reference to the honour that they would show to their natural father in Jewish society. And we need to understand the cultural background of this because in their society, the father figure held total respect to the extended family. The father was the head and he had all authority over the whole family. And this writer says that they have shown dishonour by the way they have treated the religious services that they have taken part in. And in so doing, they disrespect the God, the Father. Now this is the reference you'll see in front of us to the food on the table, poor animals for sacrifices. In fact, so poor that even your political leaders wouldn't accept them. In other words, what the people were doing is that they were going through the motions of religious activity without taking God seriously, without understanding that God sees their action and understands what this means. Now, of course, for us, we may well say, well, we don't have these religious services to follow. But surely we're being challenged in this passage to ask ourselves, do we take the worship of God seriously? We have warnings given in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 27 to 28, concerning how we take communion when we do so. If we are to guard ourselves, we need to understand and recognise that God sees our actions, sees our motives in what we do and what we say. And that God still requires of us our love and full submission to Jesus. And so, do we offer ourselves fully to Jesus or do we just give him a part of our lives, keeping the rest for ourselves? And when we bring our offerings, we don't bring animals and, uh, and food offerings, but when we bring offerings, whether that be in terms of money, talents, time, priorities, how much do we give? This passage is stating that God requires offerings that are acceptable to him. And it gets even worse, doesn't it? Look look at verses 10 and 11 of chapter 1. Because the writer states that it would be better for the people not to go to the temple, not to try and worship their God, but rather see that God would leave them and go to other people who will worship him in truth and sincerity. There's a warning here, isn't there, for the Christian church. God's presence will leave 
if we as followers of Jesus try to live lives that don't put him into the correct position. It's a warning for all of us as we consider our corporate lives of worship and discipleship together. So to guard ourselves and our spiritual lives, we need to put Jesus into the centre of our lives. So that's the first warning to the people. They have broken faith with their God. But the second warning carries on in chapter 2, and that is warnings to the religious leaders of the people. Now this is pretty serious stuff, isn't it? Look at, uh, look at verse 2. They are to honour God, or judgment and curses will follow on them and their descendants. Look at verse 7. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge, and from his mouth men should seek instruction, because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty. The role of the priest, of the religious leaders, was really important in the life of God's people. And if they were to guard themselves in spirit and faith, it was really important that those who were responsible for teaching and leading the community did it correctly. They were to be a good example to the people. They were to be true to the word that God was speaking to his people. Look at verse 8. The teaching of the priests, the prophet said, had caused people to stumble and fall away from God. And as a result of this, we read in verse 2, there will be judgment upon you. God will send a curse upon you. Such is the seriousness of the situation. Such is the importance of the job that these people have in God's world. God will judge them for their actions. Now again, for us, surely there's a warning here and an encouragement. We worship the same God today. And he has called men and women into positions of leadership. Now, of course, leaders come in all sorts of different sizes and shapes with different responsibilities. In our church, we have leaders of many groups, both small and large. We have people who have taken on responsibility, whether that be within the PCC, whether that be finance, youth work, lay readership, as well as paid leaders. And all are called to lead his people. But some have been given the added responsibility of teaching and leading his people. And God has laid down his teaching for them in his word, the Bible. And we can pray for our leaders for their faithful interpretation of this. They are to lead us in ways that encourage us and discipline us in God's ways. And this is a tremendous responsibility for them to have. And we should support them by prayer, by encouraging them, and by respecting them. But we also need to hold them up to the calling that God requires of them, to lead us in his ways. And we, of course, have got to play our part as well, in knowing what God respects of us. And we can do this, of course, through regular Bible study and prayer that will help us to be walking in God's ways. Now, of course, there always will be issues and there will be doctrinal issues where we might want to discuss over. But we can remember, can't we, that Jesus' command to all of us to love one another. And this applies to our spiritual leaders as well. We should love them as the Lord calls us to. And we can remember what Paul writes concerning that young leader. Do you remember him? Timothy. Paul wrote to the Christians there, that community, they were to support that young leader in his ministry. 
Now, having said that, of course, this doesn't mean that the Christian community doesn't or shouldn't hold their leaders to God's instructions and demands. And there may well be times when they need reminding of that. But this passage clearly tells us that leaders are not beyond the reproach of God's judgment. But we, of course, in our church, can prayerfully support our leaders. And that's what we should be doing. And so there was a warning there for the spiritual leaders of that community. But thirdly, there was a warning to the rest of the community. Look at chapter 2, verses 10 to 16. The writer had been concerned about the religious leaders and now he turns his attention to the rest of the community. And it's all about relationships, isn't it? Have a skim through. It's all about relationships. It's about their relationship with their God and with each other. Especially the formal relationships of marriage and family life. They're told off or admonished and again they have broken faith with their God. They have acted in ways that are not correct. Look at verses 11 to 14. And we see that they have done this in two ways. Firstly, they have married women who come from other communities that have different gods to theirs. And in doing this, they have caused what is called apostasy. That is where the religions of other gods have infiltrated the lives of the families and the communities of that land. And you've got to bear in mind that this goes right against the commandment given of their covenant relationship that was given to Moses at the beginning of their nation. They had broken the fundamental law which states, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. And so they have broken this most important relationship within their culture, that of their relationship with their God who loved them so much. But secondly, we see here that they have broken the relationship of marriage covenant. Look what it says. The young men have found the, the, the men have found the young and attractive women often the result of mixed marriages to be highly attractive. And so they have divorced their wives and taken the young women as new wives. They have been sexually promiscuous. And the prophet condemns these actions of the people. The prophet recognizes the danger of this temptation, a temptation that's occurred, occurred throughout the ages. We know, don't we, of King David and Bathsheba. And so he ends up by saying, guard yourselves, otherwise judgments will follow. Now I have to say, this is the second sermon recently that I've had where this issue of marriage and sexual license has come up. And God clearly desires that we as his people should live lives that are characterised by covenant relationships where we hold the promises we have made, often at a younger age, even if times get tough. Of course, we are fortunate. We have the gospel of Jesus, that Jesus offers a way of forgiveness for all who sin, all who break covenant relationships that he establishes. But in our world where any type of sexuality is allowed, and some might say even encouraged, it's good for us to be reminded that the standard that God requires of his people. We are to be different to the world and the community that we live in. And this warning given by the prophet to guard themselves should remind us what God requires of us. 
to be aware of the dangers that we're in, both with our religious activities, but also with our practical lives, where, where, which we hold dear to, how we act in community with each other. Because this, surely, is what it's all about. It's all about relationships, isn't it? It's all about relationships, whether that be with God, or with each other, or within our marriage partners. Now, of course, we again are extremely fortunate because we have the help in this through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So let's pray for this, because this is what Jesus wants for us. He wants us to take relationships seriously. He wants us to know of his love, that he called his people. We saw that right at the beginning. God called the people, even though they went against what he said. So let's be encouraged by that, that God still chooses today, and he's chosen us through Jesus. And he still loves us, despite any condition that we get ourselves into. So let's not forget that as we start this series of Malachi, that this book is looking forward to the coming of Jesus. He's looking forward to that supreme act of love of God to all of us. But also let's remember that we also have a responsibility of this, not to break this uh, covenant relationship. So let's take the warning seriously, but also the encouragement seriously as well. Yes, there are warnings, but there are also encouragements. So guard ourselves. We should guard our faith in seriousness, but also with the gift of the Holy Spirit that he promises to help us as we try to walk our lives with God. Amen.